he stated that he had no friends, was isolated, depressed, and lonely. He also reported in terms of meeting someone that he was reluctant to go to um, video booths because he was naive. At age 23, he obtained a job at the Plasma Center as a phlebotomist. He held this job for a period of one year. He reported that this was a low-paying job, he did not like the work, and he was ultimately fired for poor performance. He stated that he lost touch with his mother for about six years. This was between the ages of 21 to 27. And during this period, he did not have very much in the way of contact with his brother. Um, he continued to frequent sexually explicit bookstores, and his fantasies remained the same. Over the period of ages 23 to 25, and after he lost his job, he decided to change his life around. He went to church with his grandmother, and he stated that he was able to repress his fantasies and desires. He tried to stop masturbating and actually decreased his masturbatory activity to one time per week. He reported that he had felt guilty and consequently stopped fantasizing. He told me that he knew that his fantasies were still lurking, but he tried to lead what he described as a, quote, straight, it should say, and straight and narrow life, end quote. At age 25, he was reading a book in a library when a man came by and dropped a note in his lap. The note said, quote, meet me in the bathroom, I'll give you a blowjob, end quote. Jeffrey stated this was the first time he had been propositioned and thought it was a strange thing to happen, and he also thought that this was bizarre. He stated that at this point his desires came back and the urges started to grow stronger and stronger. Two months after this, he reports that his control broke down. He began drinking, frequenting the bookstores, and feeling guilty. His church attendance dropped off and he gave up trying to resist the urges. He stated that he started going to video rooms, meeting people, and having sex. He discovered gay bars and went to them. He reported that at this point, magazines were not enough. The compulsion was very prevailing and he failed in his attempt to resist it. He stated that he began going to bars approximately three times a week, but mostly on the weekends. During this time, he was employed, it's okay to say the type of industry, Mr. Yes. Boyle? He was employed at a chocolate factory where he mixed chocolate. He subsequently worked at the chocolate factory for a period of seven years. While working at the chocolate factory, he made some friends but did not socialize with them after work. In essence, his life consisted of working and on weekends going to bookstores, gay bars, and bath clubs. He reported that at the baths, the notion was, quote, sex, anything goes, end quote. He reported that he used condoms some of the time. He stated that he liked being the active person in sex, that he only allowed anal penetration once or twice because it hurt him. He reported- We are not using the name of the drug. So uh, I will not. Okay, thanks. All right. Uh, he reported that he started using, and I'll just say, a, a drug that had sedating effects. Sleeping okay. pills, I All right. think. He started using sleeping pills during this period because some guys wanted to perform anal sex and he did not want to. 
This was a way of keeping them. Specifically, he did not want to be the recipient of anal sex, and consequently, if he were to drug the person, they would then fall asleep, and he would not have to participate in anal sex where he was the receptive partner. That is where the person would put their penis in him. He reported that he would go to the baths on weekends and have approximately three or four partners, but would never leave with anyone. He stated it was not possible to have a relationship because he was still living at his grandmother's house. He indicated that he tried to control the compulsion and went to a store at closing time. Oh, uh, okay. He was trying to control his compulsion, so he went to a store when it was about to close. He hid out in the store, and then he stole a mannequin from the store and brought it to his house. He kept this mannequin for two weeks. He would stand over the mannequin and masturbate. His grandmother saw the mannequin and asked him where he got it. He then took the mannequin out and disposed of it. In another attempt to control his sexual fantasies and behaviors, he began to screen the obituaries and went to a funeral home to find a male of the physique and age that he was attracted to. He found one, and the deceased was 18 years of age. He then went to the graveyard and was going to dig up the body, but the ground was too hard. He reported that while he was in the graveyard, a dog barked and an owl hooted, and he found this to be rather eerie, and he left. He reported that he made attempts to resist his impulses, but they were useless. The obsessions and compulsions were his main focus, and the only time that brought him pleasure. The only things that the only The only things, I'm sorry. Thank you. He reported that he thought about them all the time. I asked him at this point about other paraphiliac behaviors, paraphiliac meaning sexually deviant. He told me that he had exposed himself approximately five or six times before being arrested and that the targets were always teenage boys. He stated that he would have preferred to have exposed himself uh, to non-minors, but it was safer exposing to younger boys. He exposed himself and masturbated in the park and was arrested for lewdness to a 13 and 14-year-old boys. He reported that he never propositioned them, that is, I asked him if he had. He was evaluated and placed on probation and saw a doctor, uh, should I just say a therapist? Or no, her, her name is not. A Dr. Rosen for a period of one year for therapy. He stated that he was resentful at having to see Dr. Rosen, and he felt that he had things under control. Consequently, he felt he could, quote, give her a snow job and get it over with, end quote. He reported that he was defiant up to the point of sometimes turning his back on Dr. Rosen and facing the wall. He did not feel that he could get anything positive out of the therapy. Now, Mr. Boyle, there are two pieces of information that may be of relevance but are not in my notes. Would you just read them and counsel will understand. Okay. To tell you what those two pieces yes, are? Please. Okay. Uh, one is what's not in my notes is, is there's another form of paraphilia uh, called frittage. That means uh, to rub, and people who rub their bodies against other people who have not given them permission to do that. And uh, uh, a number of years ago, uh, at some kind of uh, event, I don't recall if it was a concert or not, um, he uh, rubbed his, his body up against a couple of guys who were at that, uh, that concert. And that was the only time, at least, that he reported that, um, that he did that. But um, that's to a live person. 
Conscious, a live person, conscious yes. person. A conscious person. Okay. Um, the other, I um, subsequently asked uh, 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 Jeffrey, what was the nature of the therapy that he received at this point? That is, when he went into therapy, what was the focus? Um, he had been arrested for public lewdness to minors. Um, so I was wondering if, if that was the focus of therapy. That is, was the focus dealing with the behavior of exposing himself to young boys. He reported that was not the focus of the therapy. The focus of the therapy was on um, his drinking behavior uh, when he entered the therapy. So, so his therapy, uh, from what he said, was focused on something other than the paralytic problem right. yet. Go ahead. At age 20, oh, I'm sorry, he denies engaging in other forms of paraphilic behavior, including uh, voyeurism, transvestism, transsexualism, and uh, telephone scatologia. Th those are all other forms Tell of... Tell us what they are. What's voyeur, uh, voyeurist? Peeping toms, uh, people who... Um, uh, uh, transvestism is uh, individuals uh, who like to dress in the clothing of someone of the opposite sex. Uh, transsexualism, that's actually an individual um, who believes that they are the person of another sex. So I said, do you feel that you are a woman trapped in a man's body? He said he was not. Uh, telephone scatologia, that's obscene phone calls. Okay. At age 26, he reported that he was heavily into the bath clubs. He bought a large TV and VCR and began buying pornographic videos. These consisted of strip tease acts and what he called, quote, heavier sex, end quote. He started drinking on weekends and would consume 24 cans of beer over a Friday and Saturday. Well, that be 24 cans total or? Total. So over 12 the a day if he is splitting them, right? I, I don't know that it came out exactly to be 12 a day, but he said over that weekend, okay, 24, 24 cans. Go ahead. Okay. Um, he stated that he began working on Sunday evenings. After a year of being a member of a bath club, his membership was revoked because he used pills and liquor on the premises. While at the bathhouse, his interest was, quote, finding the best-looking guy, end quote, laying and touching him and listening to his heartbeat. Did, did he explain why this listening to the heartbeat was an important factor or not? No. Did you ask him? No. Okay, go ahead. Um, sometimes he would fall asleep with the person. He reported that it cost $10 a night to stay in a room at the bath club and a dollar for each additional hour. He reported that at the bath club, a person could get a double or single room with mirrors, tables, a lock on the door, and some rooms had videos. He reported that at this time, he was working the night shift at the chocolate factory, would go to the bars on weekends, usually around 2 a.m. He reported that once he got to the bathhouse, he would find a person and then lay next to the person and masturbate and engage in what he called, quote, light sex, end quote. He reported that most of the men he met there did not want just the light sex, but wanted what he called, quote, heavy sex, end quote. He stated that once the person was asleep, he did not feel quite so rushed or pressured with the person. He reported that he would fix a drink in which he would put approximately five sleeping pills, and this would keep the person asleep for approximately eight hours. He stated he would stay with the person, staying awake for about three-quarters of the time, and then he would sleep with the person. Usually, he would masturbate three times during that period. 
He reported that he never injured anyone and never recalled attempting to strangle any of these men that he stayed with at the bathhouse. He stated that once he was in the room, he would have some conversation with the person, mix them a drink, and kiss them. The person would then get groggy, and the person would then fall asleep. He indicated that he would only experience an erection about 10% of the time when the person was in an awakened state. He reported that once the person fell asleep, he had complete control and could do what, at, to, and could do what he wanted at his leisure. He did not have to entertain the person, and he felt that he could leave the room if he wanted to. He indicated that he had drugged 10 or 15 people before the management learned what he was doing. Subsequently, his membership was revoked. He then started using a local hotel room, and he stated that at this point, the bathhouse had been a much more controlled environment. Now, he's telling you that when they're in an awakened state, he can only do something 10% of the time. He could only get an erection 10% of the time. Did you ask him about the other times when they were asleep? Yeah, when they were asleep, he was able to get erections, and I think it's somewhere here in my notes, it was either 90 or 100% of the time. And of course, he told you that during the time they were asleep, he was masturbating three times. Yes, he was. Okay, continue on, please. Um, between the ages of 26 and 27, he started taking men to hotel rooms. Um, and again, there's a piece of information missing here, Mr. Boyle. Um, actually, before Stephen Toomey, he had taken approximately nine men to hotel rooms. He All of those left. None of those were He killed. didn't murder any of them. Did he, did he harm any of them? No. He didn't self-report murdering or harming any of them. Did he give them drinks with, uh, with pills in them yes. or not? He did? Yes. Okay, continue on. He reported that these were regular hotels. He met Stephen Toomey, his second victim, at closing time at a gay bar. He went to the hotel room with Stephen and engaged in consensual sex. He reported that he made a drink that was 150 proof rum with Coke. Stephen then fell asleep after half an hour. He reports blacking out and waking up in the morning. Stephen was in bed on his back. Jeffrey recalls being on top of him. He reported that Stephen's head was over the side of the bed and there was a bruise on his chest. He stated that he, Jeffrey, had a bruise on his arm. Jeffrey was shocked when he saw that Stephen was dead. He stated that he had no intention of murdering him and he stated that the bottle of rum was missing from the room. Jeffrey stated that he did not engage in sex with Stephen after he was dead. And then I go on to name the hotel. Well, that's right. That's known as the Ambassador Hotel. But, okay. the, but the fact of the matter is he did not engage in sex with him while he was in the hotel. After death. Um, actually, after death, he did engage in sex with this person. He engaged in sexual acts after death with every single one of his victims. I, I don't recall, however, if it was there at that hotel. Okay. okay. He stated that seeing Stephen dead brought back memories of 1978 and his first victim, Stephen Hicks. He stated that he had paced the floor, felt horrified, shocked, and frightened, and could not believe this had happened. He then put the body in a closet and went to a mall. He bought a suitcase and subsequently put the victim inside of the suitcase. He then rented the room and closet another. and went to a mall. 
He bought a suitcase and subsequently put the victim inside of the suitcase. He then rented the room for another night. At 1 a.m., he checked out and took a taxi to his grandmother's house. He kept the body in the fruit cellar for approximately nine days. One day, while his grandmother was at church, he laid the body out and, according to Mr. Dahmer, quote, slid open the belly and masturbated. This was exactly the same behavior that Mr. Dahmer had engaged in with his first victim. I asked him if this had brought back memories, and he stated that when he had cut open his first victim, he was surprised at the color of the different organs. He then purchased triple bag trash cans, and again, I, I apologize to the family members and to the jury, um, cut off the flesh of his victim into what he described as fist-sized pieces and put 25 pounds into each bag. He reported that he saved the skull and put the torso in an old sheet and then smashed it with a sledgehammer. When I saw Jeffrey the next day, he said that there were two Bibles that he had in his room, um, that is at the prison, a study Bible and the New King James Bible. And there was a passage in one of the books that he wanted me to see. But consequently, he asked if the guard would be able to bring the Bible down. Later on that day, the guard did bring the Bible down, and he showed me the passage of the book, and I will comment on that later. In regard to his second victim, Mr. Toomey, Jeffrey put the bags in a trash disposal. He reported that he kept the skull and called a taxidermist. He then boiled and bleached the skull and kept it for one week. He would view the skull and masturbate in front of it. He reported that with this victim, he recalled engaging in light sex initially, and then after he realized that he was dead, he masturbated on two occasions prior to disposing of the body. He stated that he felt depressed and anxious, and this incident triggered his complete moral decline. I asked him at this point whether or not he thought his victims whether or not he thought about his victims, and he reported that when images started to come back, he felt uncomfortable, and he tried to dissociate because of these uncomfortable feelings. He tried not to think about them. At age 28, he met his third victim, James Doxtater, who he thought was approximately 16 years old and who he thought was an American Indian. He was working at the chocolate factory at that time and was living at his grandmother's. Um, he reported that he was paying his grandmother $400 a month for rent and was helping her with the chores, such as weeding the garden. According to Jeffrey, she was glad when he brought her chocolate from the chocolate factory. According to Jeffrey, he had been at a bar on a Saturday night. He was standing in front of a bus stop and saw an attractive male. He assumed that this male had been drinking and asked him if he wanted to spend the night for $50. The victim agreed and took a bus to his home when they sat, that's the grandmother's home. Um, they sat in the living room while his grandmother was asleep. They laid together, kissed, and engaged in oral sex. The male said that he had to be back by morning and Jeffrey did not want him to leave, so he fixed him a drink. When the victim fell asleep, he strangled him. After he was dead, Jeffrey laid with him for a while and then had anal sex. He placed the body in the fruit cellar and put a blanket over him. The next morning, he ate breakfast with his grandmother, and she went off to church. He kept the third victim's body for one week. During this period of time, he would lay with him and masturbate. 
At the end of the week, he laid the body out and according to Jeffrey, quote, defleshed it, end quote. He kept the skull and viewed it. He stated that he may have masturbated in front of the skull, but does not remember. He reported that the bleach solution he had used was too strong and the skull started crumbling. According to Jeffrey, his compulsion was in full swing at this time. He w however, he was attracted to this third victim and wanted to keep him. His fourth victim, a Hispanic male, approximately age 21, named Richard Guerrero. Jeffrey was at the Phoenix Bar at closing time. He propositioned this victim, offering him $50. They went to Jeffrey's bedroom, laid there, and drank. They had light sex, and Jeffrey then fixed him a drink and subsequently strangled him. Light sex, according to Jeffrey, consisted of caressing, kissing, and mutual masturbation. He reported that he did not get an erection. He did, he, I'm sorry, he did get an erection. According to Jeffrey, the actual act of strangling is not arousing to him. He then took the body to the basement, defleshed it, put it in a trash bag, and saved the skull. He kept the skull for several months and brought it to his 24th Street apartment when he moved there. He reported that the police never found the skull. He left his grandmother's home because he wanted to live on his own and because once his grandmother had commented on his bringing a young man to her home. This made him feel uncomfortable and he made up a story about why the young man was there. One month after he moved, he ran into a young Asian male and invited him to, take, invited him to his home to take pictures. Jeffrey offered, let me see. Um, Jeffrey reported that he took pictures of the young male in his underwear and then offered him a drink. The young male then left, went home, and told his parents. According to Jeffrey, he did not plan on killing this person. He just wanted to take pictures and engage in light sex. Jeffrey was subsequently arrested, placed on one year work release, and given five years probation. He reported that this arrest, quote, scared the hell out of me, end quote. According to Jeffrey, the reason he did not plan to kill him was that he had to go to work that night, and that helped him control his compulsion. His fifth victim was Anthony Sears, approximately 25 years of age, who Jeffrey defined as half black and half white. At the time that he met this victim, he was still going to bars, was approached, and was approached by Anthony Sears. Jeffrey invited him back to his home and did not offer him money. They were given a ride to Jeffrey's grandmother's house where he was staying by a friend of the victim. Jeffrey reported that they engaged in light sex. He had given this victim a drink mixed with a sleeping pill. The victim fell asleep and Jeffrey strangled him. At this point in the interview, I asked Jeffrey whether or not his arrest had not served as a deterrent to further engaging in necrophilic behavior. Jeffrey reported that the compulsion had been so strong that he had killed a victim right after the arrest and prior to being incarcerated. He master masturbated on this victim and also had anal sex with him. Jeffrey laid for one and a half to two hours with the victim. He severed the head and disposed of the body and saved the genitals. He wanted to preserve the head and put it in a 10-gallon pail with a lid. 
He soaked the head and genitals in acetone, which served to, quote, mummify them, end quote. He reported that they dried for two weeks. Subsequently, he would hold the head in his hands and masturbate. According to Jeffrey, the head represented the essence of the person. I asked him if he spoke with the head, and he reported that he may have, but he didn't recall what he had said. He did not take any pictures of the head. At this point, Jeffrey purchased a big black, I'm sorry, he purchased a black table for a temple that he was going to build. It was, a, it was to be an area of worship to give him more control financially, socially, and in every area of his life. It was to be a center for, quote, gathering energy, end quote. He reported that he had been attending occult bookshops and had purchased a book, The Satanic Bible. Jeffrey had purchased this table prior to going to prison. He had spray painted his fifth victim's skull with a granite compound and put the head and genitals in a cosmetic case and stored it at the chocolate factory while he was incarcerated. At this point, I asked him about the ethnicity of his victims. He stated that 10 of his victims were black and seven were not. He stated that this victim, oh, I'm sorry, he stated that his victims were Hispanic, black, and Asian. And white. And white. He also reported that five were not homosexual. Jeffrey targeted people whose physique and looks were particularly attractive to him. So in, cases that, in, so in some cases, that would be an ethnic minority, and in some cases, it might be a person who was heterosexual. Jeffrey was released from prison after nine months. He then took the skull from the cosmetic case and took the flesh off of it but saved the skull. He liked and saved the genitals and the scalp because he stated that this victim had a nice head of hair. He stated at this time, quote, maybe I was born too late, maybe I was an Aztec. One or two months later, he met his 11th victim, Earl Lindsay. He reported that Lindsay was not gay. He reported that Lindsay was not gay. He met him during the day on a street corner. He offered him money and brought him back to his house to watch Exorcist III. I questioned Jeffrey about the body parts that he had stored in the freezer. He reported that periodically he would take portions out of the freezer and cook them. While he ate, he would become aroused. Uh, he never gave any of the victim's body parts to eat. Um, that might be a bit confusing there. What I asked Jeffrey is when he brought other people over to his house, did he ever offer them um, any of the body parts of, cooked body parts of people? Uh, regarding Errol Lindsay, he reported that um, he did not have sex with him before he drugged him. He then drugged him and his victim fell asleep. The behavior again escalated at this point. Jeffrey noted that he was sick of doing what he was doing and wanted to render his victim zombies. He had a handheld drill and bored a hole in the skull to the brain. He used a large syringe and filled it with acid, which he injected into the frontal lobes so that his victim would still be able to follow commands. He reported that his victim woke up after the first injection, stated that he was groggy and had a headache. He then gave him more sleeping pills. He then strangled this victim, posed him, took pictures, laid with the victim, and masturbated. He acidified the flesh and skeleton, but kept the skull. 
Jeffrey reported that he had used a paring knife because he tried to preserve the skin, but this did not work. Doctor, let me stop you at this point. <coughs> Was there any chance in the world that Jeffrey Dahmer, in trying to zombieize these poor folks, was going to ever be able to accomplish that? Um, and that, that home uh, drilling, the way he was trying to do it? Objection. She's not a medical doctor. Christine, I think that, that it's outside her area of expertise. Okay. Have you ever worked in a hospital, doctor? Yes. Have you done any training in a hospital? Oh, go ahead. Forget it. Continue on. Um, two months later, he met his 12th victim, Tony Hughes, who he reported was a, a deaf mute in his mid-20s. Uh, Tony was black. Friends of Tony's drove him to um, Jeffrey's apartment. They kissed, watched videos, and he gave him drugs. He did not remember drilling holes in uh, Tony, but he stated that he must have because Tony was dead when Jeffrey awakened. He had sex with him and laid with him. Um, Jeffrey laid his body on the corner of his bedroom floor. At age 31, when Jeffrey was 31, he met his 13th victim, Conorax. Uh, uh, Sentence of bone. A 15-year-old male. He reported that he went to a mall at five in the evening and that in the eating area and was in the eating area of the mall. He was about to go home when he saw a Eurasian man walking into the mall. He propositioned him and offered him $50 to allow him to take pictures. I, I don't want you to read the next sentence uh, because okay. uh, right now that, that would be a, it, that's an identifier and we're not identifying that next sentence. Okay. So. Uh, he gave him a drink, drilled holes in his skull and filled it with acid. At one point in the morning his victim was still sleeping and Jeffrey went out to a bar for a beer. As he was leaving the bar, he saw his victim sitting at the side of the road. He was naked, and two females were around him. The police came, as did a fire truck. The police got out and asked what was going on. Jeffrey told him that this was a friend of his who was drunk. The police believed him, wrapped him in a blanket, and walked the victim back to his apartment. The police entered the apartment. Jeffrey stated that there was a body in his apartment in the bedroom. He, he didn't state you, that to the police. the police. That's that, correct. Go ahead. However, the police never entered or looked in the bedroom. The police laid this victim on the sofa. The police saw two photos that Jeffrey had taken of the victim, and one officer held up a photo as if to say, and these are Jeffrey's words, see, he's telling the truth. Jeffrey gave this victim one more injection, and that was fatal. He then posed the victim, took pictures, had anal sex with him, and masturbated. He acidified the flesh and the skeleton, defleshed and saved the skull. The compulsion was so strong that the police being there did not make any difference, and he continued in his behavior. Shortly after this, he met his 14th victim, Matt Turner, a 20-year-old black male. Jeffrey had attended the Chicago Gay Pride Parade and met this victim at a bus station. He offered him money, took him home to watch Exorcist III, had light sex, drugged him, and strangled him. He defleshed and acidified the body, saved the skeleton in the freezer, and put the head in the freezer. He threw the other body parts into the trash. Jeffrey noted that around this time, the body meat in his freezer was getting old, and he disposed of it. 
One or two weeks later, he met his 15th victim, Jeremiah Weinberger, age 25, who was of Jewish Puerto Rican descent. He met him at a bar in Chicago. He approached his victim, offered him money. The victim performed oral sex on Jeffrey. They took the bus back to his home. They kissed, engaged in masturbation, watched a video, and Jeffrey then gave him a drink. Once he was unconscious, he drilled a hole in his head and used boiling water. He reported that this victim woke up and was functioning but was groggy. Jeffrey then gave him more pills and another injection. He reported that the victim went into a coma and the next morning he was still in a coma and Jeffrey tried to wake him up. Jeffrey went to work and when he returned home he found that the victim was dead. He stated that he felt bad because he wanted the victim to be coherent and to carry on a conversation with him. Jeffrey stated that he engaged in the drilling technique to avoid having to strangle and kill his victims. I asked Jeffrey how things were going at work at this period of time and he told me that he had been missing days at work because of his victims. He said he was at a point where he could have been fired. One or two weeks later, he met his 16th victim, Oliver Lacey. He reported that Oliver was black and was a bodybuilder. He offered him money, they had light sex, they watched a video, and Jeffrey drugged him. He reported that he then called into work sick and he was then fired. He had kept the headless body of his 15th victim in his bathtub. According to Jeffrey, Oliver never saw that body. Jeffrey reported that he did not use drilling on this victim. He drugged him, strangled him, performed anal sex before and after death, posed him, and took pictures. He also defleshed his 15th victim at this time and saved the head. He was going to use Oliver Lacey in his temple area. At this point, he had lost his job, was drinking heavily, and running out of money. One week after he had strangled Oliver Lacey, he bought a 57-gallon drum to acidify all of the skeletons that he was going to keep. He then met his 17th victim, Joseph Bredehoft, who he stated was Caucasian. They had drinks together. He offered him money. He drugged him and strangled him. Jeffrey reported that, quote, not much sex occurred, end quote. He defleshed him, put the skeleton and head in the freezer, put his clothes in the trash after he cut them up, and did not take any pictures because he was out of film. After this victim, there was another one whose name he could not recall. He had put cuffs on this victim, and the victim ran out of his apartment. Jeffrey reported that during this time, he had been drinking 150-proof rum. He indicated that three police officers came, went to get the key for the handcuffs, and saw pictures that Jeffrey had taken of his victims. He was then arrested. He reported that he was very frightened when he was arrested. He stated that he did not immediately have a sense of relief, but this occurred several days later when he knew that his behavior had come to an end. I asked him whether consciously he had wanted to be apprehended, and he said no. Jeffrey stated that in looking back, he realized how horrible his acts were, the impact that all of this must be having on his victims' families. He reported that he had depersonalized his victims and never asked any questions about their lives. He reported that he had been consumed by desire and would not have been able to do it if he had known these people on a personal basis. They became objects to him. I questioned him about his sexual fantasies and urges since his arrest. 
He reported that they are not as strong as they had been pre-arrest and that he has no desire to commit violence. He tries to keep sexual thoughts out of his mind. He reported that it is quite possible that the compulsion would return if he was not in a structured environment and stated, quote, it would be nice to get rid of it completely, end quote. He reported that he had killed a total of 17 people and that once apprehended, he wanted to, quote, tell all, end quote. I asked if there were people that he had not killed, and he said that there were three. He did not murder these people because either he was not attracted to them or he did not have pills to drug them with. I asked him if throughout the course of his life he has ever had a relationship that had any degree of depth. He disclosed there has been no person since his childhood friend, Initial D, in terms of the depth of feelings in a relationship. In terms of relationships, Jeffrey reported that he, quote, fell into a mode that didn't deviate, end quote. He said this was a mode of meeting people and not having any degree of social intimacy or contact with them. When asked about why he did not develop a relationship with another person, he told me that all of the people he met gave time frames, that is, where they had to be at a certain time, that they had to go home, that they had to be with someone else. He did not feel that he could leave any of these people in his apartment and that he wanted contact with people. Now, if I may comment there, Mr. Boyle, because um, it, it's the reason that he didn't want to bring anybody back to his apartment and have a relationship because he didn't know what he would do in terms he was interested in putting people out and having sex with them. He didn't know what he'd do with body parts that he stored in his apartment or how he would continue this. By drugging the people and then killing them, he would have people who would remain and stay with him. In regard to his alcohol abuse, he reported that during college, while in the Army and after the Army, he was dependent upon and abused alcohol. He indicated that he would drink one case of beer every weekend. I asked him if he passed out, and he stated rarely. He did recall, however, that when he was on work release, he was given a pass at Thanksgiving, and he did not want to go home, so he went to the mall, which he discovered was closed. He then went to a bar and drank beer and a whiskey called Yukon Jack. He drank one bottle. He then went to a gay bar and went home with some man he met there. He blacked out at this person's apartment and when he awakened, he was hogtied. He had bruises on his leg and the man was doing something with a candle in Jeffrey's rectum. When he came to, he yelled. Jeffrey reported that his leg was beaten raw but he did not have any anal damage. Jeffrey reported that during this time period of luring people to his apartment and then killing them, he felt emotionally dead. I asked him about his health. He reported that he does not get any exercise in prison and that, do you still want me to go on with it? Yes, please. And that he is taking a medication, he didn't know the name of it, but described it as a little purple pill to relieve body itching. He reported that he sleeps okay except for a fellow inmate who screams during the night and wakes him up. I asked him if he has any dreams about his victims and he reports that he does not. He then did recall one dream in which there was a modern building and all young people in their 20s lived there. There were males as well as females and they were dressed in leather and they were on the floor eating something. He stated that he walked into a room and on the walls were that should be pastel colors, like being projected. He reported that the floor was misty and there was a guy there walking toward him, but the man never got close to him. He reported that he woke up. He indicated that in the dream, he did not recall feeling attracted to this person. 
Jeffrey, again, I asked him about whether he knew if what he was doing was right or wrong. He knew that the behavior he had been engaging in was wrong. He indicated, however, that, quote, after the ambassador incident, I was not able to control the behavior, end quote. Further sexual history, he reported that at the bathhouse he got erections approximately 10% of the time, but was never able to ejaculate. Once his partners were drugged, however, he got erections 100% of the time, and he was able to ejaculate. At his apartment, he got erections 10% of the time when his victims were awake. Once drugged, he got, once drugged, he got erections 100% of the time. He reported that the sexual acts were more erotic once his victim was dead. During the course of all of these events, he masturbated two times a day. His fantasies were a person being comatose approximately 75% of the time. The remainder of his fantasies involved his victim being dead and having sex with him. I asked Jeffrey again why he killed his victims. He reported that he did not just drug them and have sex with them and let them leave because he wanted to keep them. He wanted them to stay with him. I asked him if he had ever been arrested for other types of behavior. He reported that he had been arrested for drunken disorderly conduct, exhibitionism, taking pictures of a minor, and for his present crimes. He also had been arrested for shoplifting a leather coat, and he indicated that he did steal a mannequin. Jeffrey reported that he never learned how to develop close relationships, and most of his activities were solitary. He responded, quote, my emotions were deadened from Hicks on, end quote. I asked him about his therapeutic contacts with Dr. Rosen, who he saw after he was arrested for exhibitionism. He informed me that three quarters of the way into therapy, the incident occurred at the Ambassador Hotel. He reported that therapy was expensive and he had to take the bus 10 miles to get there. He stated that he was resentful towards the therapist and that he did not feel that it would make much difference. He found therapy was not helpful and then stated, quote, but it was my fault, not hers, end quote. Jeffrey reiterated that he never blamed anyone for his actions and that he accepts responsibility. He said, quote, the truth has a way of coming out, end quote. He said that talking with the detectives was a purging for him. He saw it as a confession. He claimed that he believes in a life after death and wants to get what he has done out in the open. I questioned him further about his interest in the satanic. He disclosed that he could not control his impulses and gradually surrendered to them. He then felt evil and began reading the Satanic Bible and watching Exorcist Three. Prior to this, he had watched Return of the Jedi and began wearing the yellow contacts to be like an emperor. He felt that given what he was doing, he was like Satan himself. I asked Jeffrey whether or not there was a family history of criminal behavior. He reported there was not except that his brother David broke a window at a railroad station at age 12. He stated that presently his brother does computer work um, at a company. Jeffrey stated that while in Milwaukee, he felt closest to his grandmother. She was always kind to him, and she was a perfect grandmother, and, quote, you couldn't ask for an anyone nicer, end quote. He also revealed that he despises the attention that this case is getting. He stated, quote, I was always a private person, end quote. I asked him if he had ever read cases about serial killers, and he told me that he had not. He said further that he had no fascination and never read any crime magazines or any type of material along this line. I questioned him about how he felt now, and he presented me with a passage from his Bible, and it's Romans 7:14. and I quote, 
For what I want to do, I don't do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good, end quote. What did that mean to you? That, um, that on some level, he didn't want to be killing the people he was killing and having sex with them after death. Um, and that he hated doing that, but he couldn't do other than that. And he agrees, in essence, with the laws that people should not be allowed to do that. Go ahead. I asked Jeffrey what he thought would happen in the future. He said he wanted to have a situation where he could have peace and quiet, where he could read, write, listen to a radio. He stated that that was the best he could hope for. He also stated at this point that it was painful to think about the victim's family members and what they are going through and that in the future he wanted to write a letter of apology to the victim's family members. In further discussing the situation in prison, he reported that he has not received any mental health therapy. He served three meals a day. He reported that last Sunday he became angry because they took his pen away from him. I asked him what his parents are presently doing. He said that his mother is a mental health worker and is living in California. He stated she's in her mid-50s. His father works uh, in another city and lives with his wife. Because Jeffrey was so interested in physiques, I questioned him about whether or not he had ever worked out. He said that he worked out on and off at home, but he never really stuck to it. He did for a while have a membership to uh, a health club. I questioned him about why he had purchased the Griffins. He indicated that they are representative of evil. He stated again that after the ambassador incident, things really went, quote, full-fledged wrong, end quote. I asked him about whether he had any auditory or visual hallucinations. He reported that he did not. When I asked him if he had done much traveling during his lifetime, he reported that other than being stationed in Germany and traveling to Munich, living in Miami, and going to New Mexico as a Boy Scout, he had done no other traveling. After he was arrested the second time, he reported that he moved out of the 24th Street apartment and met a black man and brought him back to his apartment, even though he no longer lived there. The apartment had been rented. He then went to the basement with the man. He reported that the guy knocked him out, kicked him, took his money, $300. When he recovered, he was taken to the hospital, kept overnight, and his head injury was sutured. I asked him whether or not he was able to cry and when was the last time he cried. He reported that the last time he cried was when he was in college following his first victim. He stated that he was feeling bad about having killed the person, was drinking out of control, and cried. He reported that he is, quote, surprised, end quote, that he, quote, did that, end quote, to 17 people. He stated that it feels like a twilight state. He then stated that he wished he could die, that his heart would stop beating. During this interview, Jeffrey drew a picture of it, the temple that he had planned to build. It consisted of a table, and in front of the table was a black chair. On either side of the table were reconstructed skeletons that were to be painted. On the table, there were to be incense on both ends and 10 painted skeletons. There was to be a wall plaque, a blue curtain, and a lamp with blue globe lights. He preserved the hands, genitals, and skull in formaldehyde. He masturbated a couple of times after he strangled him. He reported that he began watching Exorcist Three at this time, and he stopped watching Return of the Jedi. He reported that the character in Exorcist Three appealed to him. That character being... He reported that Lindsay was not gay. He met him during the day on a street corner. 
He offered him money and brought him back to his house to watch Exorcist Three. I questioned Jeffrey about the body parts that he had stored in the freezer. He reported that periodically he would take portions out of the freezer and cook them. While he ate, he would become aroused. Uh, he never gave any of the victims body parts to eat. Um, that might be a bit confusing there. What I asked Jeffrey is when he brought other people over to his house, did he ever offer them um, any of the body parts of, cooked body parts of people? Uh, regarding Errol Lindsay, he reported that um, he did not have sex with him before he drugged him. He then drugged him and his victim fell asleep. The behavior again escalated at this point. Jeffrey noted that he was sick of doing what he was doing and wanted to render his victim zombies. He had a handheld drill and bored a hole in the skull to the brain. He used a large syringe and filled it with acid which he injected into the frontal lobes so that his victim would still be able to follow commands. He reported that his victim woke up after the first injection, stated that he was groggy and had a headache. He then gave him more sleeping pills. He then strangled this victim, posed him, took pictures, laid with the victim, and masturbated. He acidified the flesh and skeleton, but kept the skull. Jeffrey reported that he had used a paring knife because he tried to preserve the skin, but this did not work. Mr. Dahmer is a blonde-haired, hazel-eyed, six-foot, 175-pound, single Caucasian male. He was escorted to the interview by guards. He was wearing prison garb. His behavior could be described as being cooperative throughout the interview. Through most of the interview, he drank coffee, smoked, and during each session, he ate a bag of M&Ms. He was oriented to time, place, and person. He knew the month, did not know the date. He was off by two days, and he knew the current year. There was no evidence of hallucinations or delusions or psychotic thought processes. His memory appeared intact. He did not have difficulty concentrating. His affect was appropriate given the situation. In discussing his victims, he reported the events in a rather rote, matter-of-fact manner. It was only towards the end of the second interview when Jeffrey was reflecting on what he had done that he appeared to evidence remorse about his behaviors.